0: Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic.
0: In today's episode, we're talking to Senator Martha McSally.
1: McSally has a new memoir out called Dare to Fly Simple Lessons in Never Giving Up. The book is an up-close look at the senator and really sheds new light on her childhood, her early years in the Air Force, her rise in the military, and her political career.
0: McSally, a Republican, is running to retain her seat in the U.S. Senate. Current polls show her trailing behind her Democratic opponent, retired astronaut Mark Kelly.
1: Today, we'll talk to the senator about her book, her campaign, and her outlook on 2020, including the COVID-19 pandemic.
0: Senator, thank you so much for joining us. We are excited to have you.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. I know it's been a challenging year so far. It's good to see you guys. Hope you're safe and healthy and looking forward to the conversation.
0: Your new book is on sale now and uh, I, I read it over Memorial Day and in it you open up about yourself in really some, some very painful but important ways from the loss of your father at 12 years old to, to multiple instances of you being preyed upon by, by people throughout your life. Why did you write this book and, and why do it now and, and what was this process like? Well, thanks,
2: Yvonne. You know, for those who know me and uh, when I'm out talking to people, when it's appropriate, when I feel like we have shared experiences, um, I am an open book. I know sometimes the media has a caricature of politicians, but, you know, we're all human beings, and we've all had our journeys uh, to get to this place. And, um, you know, where I am now is a continuation of my story of service. And I just felt like sharing some of what I've been through Um, At this moment in time in order to encourage others in their journeys. Not everybody is going to take off an A-10 warthog uh, Or you know command a squadron flying in the canyons of Afghanistan or you know sue the Secretary of Defense But we can all relate to How do you overcome fear? You know, how do you find your own courage? How do you overcome grief? We are many people are going through that right now. Uh, How do you overcome adversity And so I just share, you know, nuggets along the way that I learned that I hope can be inspiring to the reader. Uh, You know, has nothing to do with politics. Be a senator. This is just common human experiences of finding your voice, finding your strength, uh, finding your faith, and um, uh, things that nearly crushed me that I went through um, uh, in in my young life and throughout my life. uh, How I was able to have them, instead of crushing me, have them actually strengthen me uh, so that I could find my own strength and voice. And then also fight for others who don't have a voice. And that's really been the journey of my life. So maybe for you, it puts some things into context as you're looking through the lens of seeing me just as a senator. But you know, people know me as a fighter, but also I hope they see that I fight because I care. And I care because I've also been in places where I felt like I didn't have a voice. And now I'm in a Place where I can be that voice for others, and as a fellow human being, my hope is that I could shine a light for some people, especially in this moment, as we're dealing people are dealing with their own fear and uncertainties and, and grief and adversity, uh, that they would get out of bed today and find that hope and that strength for themselves
1: so I know when we do really deep dives on a story, it seems like there were things that seemed insignificant at the time uh, in the past that you look at in hindsight and, and they take on a uh, much greater significance. You've obviously been sorting through your life to date. Um, were there any, any great events that just sort of uh, you, you came to see in a whole different light as, as you were reflecting on all this?
2: Yeah, well, one in particular was the last um, 24 hours of my dad's life. Uh, when I was twelve, and uh, the youngest of five kids. And as part of the story, I reached out to my siblings and um, wanted to get their perspectives. You know, they were all older than me. And so we all captured different things, remember different things were gripped by different things in that uh, memories in that time frame. And um, it was it was actually quite painful, um going back there to that day, but also, healing uh, in many ways, another layer of healing um, from that loss, and um, even getting some new revelations like this this letter that my dad wrote to my mom while he was courting her that I had not actually uh, read before until uh, just in this process. And so it was a real blessing for me uh, in many ways uh, to get other perspectives and other memories from my siblings. We hadn't really talked in great detail about those Uh, impactful, um, deeply impactful 24 hours of all of our lives, from when we were with our dad as a normal family to when he was no longer with us. And so absolutely, it gave me some different perspective because they were older than me and um, just different perspectives on what even happened and um, filled in some things for me as well. And it ended up again uh, being a blessing for me, but lots of tears were shed in the process.
0: Politics and our society, just broadly, is so polarized and tribal. What do you want people to know about Martha McSally, the person, as you kind of enter the final stretches of this campaign?
2: Well, my hope and prayer would be that those who I represent would see that I have given my entire adult life to serving others, um, to putting my life on the line, uh, to protect others and serve others. And now I'm in just a different outfit, but the same oath of office as I decided initially to run, you know, and was in the House and now the Senate. This is just a continuation of my service. It's extremely frustrating. I'm not a career politician, uh, but I am a fighter uh, and I'm a problem solver, too. And again, sometimes people look through the lens of politics where they maybe don't see the human elements of each of us and why we fight uh, and why we care. And so my hope is that people see what I've been fighting for for Arizona. Uh, I got more bills passed last year tied for first of any other senator. Chuck Grassley and I tied for first. And that's a big deal in a pretty difficult environment where Chuck Schumer is trying to stop me from getting anything done. Uh, And also uh, you know, was in the top 10 most bipartisan senators because you have to find that common ground in order to get things done. So my hope would be that they, can sense my heart and the results, uh, because it's not just about heart. It's about what are you doing in order to help the people that you represent, that they can see through. There's Again, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of different politicization of everything. But look at the results uh, and just know that I get up every single morning. If this is the last year of my life, I'm fighting for Arizonans, and I want to make a difference for, difference for Arizonans. And I'm I, I hope and pray I'll get the opportunity to continue to do that.
1: Let's shift gears just a bit Um, talking about, uh, you know, last year, last days. uh, Seems like 2020 has felt like end of times uh, from the start. Uh, between the coronavirus, the resulting recession, then the death of George Floyd and all the unrest that's followed that. Uh, We have seen some pretty substantial changes to the public agenda in 2020. Um, How, if at all, have any of those events kind of reshaped your own agenda uh, looking forward?
2: Well, absolutely. I I think we're having this conversation uh, at the end of 2019 or early 2020. You know, our economy was strong. Uh, People we're having a hard time looking for workers, you know, more jobs open and rebuilding our military. I think a a lot of optimism. And now we've been hit with this unprecedented, really once in a century uh, pandemic and then the economic downturn and and everything that's going on. And so as a Senator, as soon as the pandemic hit, uh, we're springing into action. What do we need to do to provide support to people? And that's across the board, you know, support to people Uh, you know, workers who no longer were getting a paycheck, people up and down my street all over Arizona, hardworking families uh, living paycheck to paycheck now had nothing coming in. Uh, Small businesses on the verge of collapsing after they poured their whole lives into building their small businesses, Uh, support to our healthcare, frontline heroes, making sure they have everything that they need, Uh, support down to the states to ensure we can protect the vulnerable, investing in cures and vaccines. And so, look, we just as quickly as possible, and the federal government and speed are not normally in the same sentence. I say that a lot. We wanted to get relief out the door uh, with, with speed being key for saving lives, saving small businesses, saving livelihoods, and protecting people from falling into more health and economic uh, insecurity. And as we're looking forward now, we still have more to do. We've got to find bipartisan uh, solutions here. We know what a good economy looks like. Uh, So let's have targeted support in any conversations going forward about how to continue to support these small businesses and promote job growth uh, while we still fight to defeat this virus, which is still among us. We still need cures. We still need a vaccine. Uh, So this is very much, you know, taking a a lot of the, uh, appropriately, uh, you know, a lot of our focus right now. But in addition to that, we're passing the defense bill this week. So ensuring that we have support. Uh, for our military, uh, keeping the A-10 flying, uh, which is critical. We've got other elements um, related to this. I think people have really awakened to why, why are all of our medicines made in China? Why are we relying on China for our PPE, uh, for our own public health and health security? So uh, we're looking at opportunities within the defense bill uh, and other ways to bring manufacturing home for American jobs. Uh, it's important for our national security and our own health security, but also for uh, you know promoting American jobs. So I think that's uh, uh, that's a significant part of of what we'll be focusing on. And there's a lot of other issues on like water infrastructure and rural broadband and many things that we have in the works that we're looking for things we can attach them to uh, in order to actually um, deliver for Arizonans. Um, some some of these are wonky issues, but they're important issues for communities, and we're going to keep trying to get them across the finish line in the midst of this.
0: You've, throughout this process, really aggressively uh, blamed China for a lot of things, from the pandemic to almost what sounds like influence peddling with your Democratic rival, Mark Kelly. What should our nation's end game be with China? Should we treat them as an enemy? Should we pull back trade with them? I mean, what what do what do you envision?
2: Well, I've been focused on national security my whole adult life, and I will tell you the rise of China, not as a competitor but as an adversary is the most significant geopolitical threat that we've seen over the last many years. We've we've been dealing with Uh, global terrorism. We have to deal with rogue nations like Iran and North Korea. Russia is dangerous in its decline, but China on the rise. And for those of us who have been, again, watching this and concerned about the national security implications, we've seen them in plain sight on a path to replace us, uh, to dominate the world. And they've done it as a parasite uh, on America. In, some, in many cases, because of our policies, shipping jobs over there, not thinking about supply chains and them stealing our technology or demanding technology transfer or intellectual property, um, you know, our health security. How do we get to a place where our pharmaceuticals are all re- re- made over in China or their ingredients are there? So there's so many elements I've been concerned about from a national security point of view. I think the coronavirus has awakened Americans to what's going on because you saw China lied about it. We still don't know exactly where it came from. They covered it up. They still allowed travel uh, while they were cracking down on internal travel. They blamed the US Army. They started a propaganda campaign. They're still on. Uh, and I think when I talk to constituents, they are now realizing, wow, China is, uh, is an adversary. And I think we need to have a, uh, a full strategy uh, as a nation, working with our allies in uh, Asia and in Europe Uh, in order to stop their rise uh, to replace us. So that includes kind of a multifaceted approach. Um, But our focus right now is bringing manufacturing home, uh, holding them accountable in ways that we can uh, for the coronavirus. But I think also just waking up to see, like, we shouldn't allow them to be just dominating in areas of technology, in areas of public transportation, in areas of of critical minerals that we need for our national security, uh, where they can actually then Uh, use that influence to cut us off from supplies we need for our national security. So a lot of this is uh, going to be in the defense bill, a lot of initiatives that we have. But going forward, I think we really need a a strategy uh, of how we are going to disentangle ourselves uh, from reliance on them uh, and uh, work with our allies to stand up to them because they've been doing it in plain sight and they've been a parasite uh, eating off us. And we need to stop that from happening.
1: So you've talked about national security concerns quite a bit. Um, getting more to the news of the day, in 2018, you had pretty harsh words for Kirsten Cinema uh, for you know dismissing the mention of Americans joining the Taliban as being fine. President Trump has not publicly commented uh, on the reports from the intelligence community regarding. Um, you know, possible bounties from uh, the Kremlin on uh, U.S. troops in Afghanistan by the Taliban. Uh, do you think the president has reacted appropriately, seriously to the information from the intelligence community?
2: Well, let me just say that 2018 is behind us. Uh, and I've been working with Senator Sinema on many things to help Arizonans. Um, I read the intelligence reports this morning, um, the highly classified intelligence reports, and having been in the military and been in combat theaters and deployed to Afghanistan, I will tell you I'm deeply concerned about uh, the leaking of information that is not necessarily fully verified and worked through the intelligence process. Um, Again, I can't get into the sources and methods here, but I think it's really dangerous. In my role as a commander, when I've been deployed, you see all sorts of raw intelligence out there, and we have a process to work through the veracity of it and how we respond to it. Um, And it comes from many different sources. Sometimes they can be verified, sometimes unverified. So I think I'm deeply concerned about what happened here process-wise, where information that had not fully been vetted where there isn't full agreement among the intelligence agencies is now leaked and then politicized unfortunately um, like everything is um, around now i we we know one thing for sure though putin is not our friend <laughs> russia is doing everything they can uh, in every theater in order to um, uh, influence um, uh, operations and influence strategically and in, in other ways in order to hurt america uh, in order to uh, impact our ability to lead and have stability in many regions and so in general I will say you know Russia is not is not our friend and uh, it it doesn't surprise me generally that they are um, can you know I, I'm not again I'm not saying that, that I'm not verifying that this is an accurate report but I'm just saying in general uh, we need to hold Russia accountable uh, and continue to hold them accountable for their malevolent activity around the world while we also keep American troops safe uh, but I'm concerned about the what happened here, process-wise? Uh, there's again all sorts of intelligence um, uh, uh, pieces of information I've seen in my military career uh, that if we were just going to run to the president every time we saw a report, uh, that that would cause all sorts of challenges and uh, often moving in directions on things that don't get verified. So let the intelligence committee community have their process, and uh, you know we certainly are having conversations about uh, uh, you know you know, this specific uh, report and other things that, like I said, I've read, i read the reports, uh, but I'm just concerned about the leaking here and the politicization of it.
0: But after reading the reports, do you, did you walk away thinking that, that the reporting on this by the New York Times was accurate, that the Kremlin based uh, bounties on the heads of, of U.S. troops? I obviously am not going to share what I've read in classified information. So I'm not asking what you read. I just want to know how you feel after reading the material. Nice time. Okay, we'll move on. You made a, you made a big splash last week with uh, your proposed tax credit worth up to uh, four, thousand dollars per taxpayer per year in 2020 and 2021 uh, to subsidize travel in the in the United States for families. Why is this a good idea? Um, and, and how would your Arizona constituents benefit from this? Well,
2: what we've seen, Arizona is a destination state for um, people within the state, around the country and around the world for travel and tourism. And what we've seen is with the unemployment rate sitting just below 14% overall, the last report, this this area is sitting at like 36%. And so we're talking about anything associated with travel and tourism. So that includes obviously the hotels, the, the tour guides and, and everything else that's impacted. Restaurants and stores are all also impacted when somebody comes to visit. And we are in an unprecedented challenge here where we have provided now $3 trillion of relief, uh, direct relief through various programs in order to stop the economy uh, from collapsing. But there are you know, close to 200,000 Arizonans that are in these industries that right now are not able to go back to work. And so this is about the workers uh, and about giving them the support and incentivizing it by safely, when safely allowed to happen, we still want everybody to be safe, we want everybody to uh, follow the guidelines, but when safely allowed to do that, to encourage them to spend their own harder money, right, this is this is your money, and encouraging you to spend it in areas that will allow other Arizonans and other Americans to have their jobs and keep their jobs. And so we've seen across Arizona, uh, the chambers, the, you know, the, the hotel lodging, and those involved in the tourism industry have said, hey, this is a great initiative, uh, Larry Kudlow, uh, the economic advisor of the president, uh, supports it. And we hope uh, this will be part of the conversation for any legislative relief going forward in some form or the other. Uh, look, we, We're going to have to support this industry one way or the other. It's either through unemployment benefits or through some other support. Uh, why don't we encourage Americans to spend their money in order to keep people at work? It's just a different way to approach it.
1: If I could follow up on that, if the idea is to help that industry um, and mindful of the health concerns that are still with us at this moment anyway, uh, why not provide a direct bailout to the travel industry or the hospitality industry more broadly? Um, you know, why not just uh, greater cash payments to the public so that they can use the money as they see fit Um you know, yeah, there's we, different
2: ways to approach it. You know, I'm, we're in conversations. I've asked questions specifically about this um, in the banking committee uh, there. You know, there are lending uh, facilities available uh, to allow for cash flow. Obviously, those that are below 500 employees have access to the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, to be able to help with forgivable loans, to help people. Uh, we I hate calling them stimulus checks, but everybody calls them that. We had the stimulus checks, uh, the added unemployment. So we were just, you know, throwing everything out there in order to provide cash support to businesses and families and workers. Uh, and now moving forward, I think we want to be as targeted as possible, but let's have conversations about how we can get through this. And again, this initiative includes all the way through next year. So our hope is that We will have cures, we will have vaccines, and we're just trying to encourage people uh, to make good decisions for themselves, have personal responsibility, be safe, um, but use your hard-earned money in a targeted way to support these people also being able to put food on the table for their family.
0: Shifting gears again, uh, the Supreme Court this week refused to uphold Louisiana's restrictions on abortion services. Uh, Do you think Republicans should continue to press this issue?
2: well you know the 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 answer seemed a little out of step that you have the chief justice who previously dissented now saying that's their precedent i i don't don't quite you know that that seemed like a bizarre rationale and a lot of people are questioning that but i think most arizonans and most americans whether they are pro-life or pro-choice believe there should be restrictions um that that there should be a point in time uh, where beyond which uh, that an abortion should not be allowed, that there should be some, some restrictions. Most people, most Americans, most Arizonans I talk to uh, believe that. And so the conversations happening at the state level and the restrictions at the state level, certainly at the federal level, you know, we couldn't get Democrats to agree that if a botched abortion happened, uh, that their life-saving support has to happen to the baby. Um, and and stopping the, you know, the Born Alive Bill. I mean, this should be common sense stuff that people should be able to agree upon, even if they disagree uh, in other areas. And so, again, I think that decision was um, sort of processy, but I think states have the rights uh, to be able to put uh, reasonable restrictions. Uh, and I'm pro-life, you know, with three exceptions, rape, incest, and life of the mother. Uh, but these conversations, I think, are important for us t- uh, to have, and states should continue to within their own legislative bodies, you know, make decisions for those states, and we work through the branches of the government.
1: So, I'd like to stay with the court for just a, a moment more. Um, last week, the administration uh, submitted legal papers in the, uh, the Affordable Care Act case um, that essentially argued that when Congress passed the corporate tax cuts in 2017, that they took away the individual mandate and they meant to take away the ACA in full. You voted for those tax cuts in the House. Um, Did you intend for that, with that vote, to topple the entire ACA?
2: Well, you know, with that vote, it was specifically focused on the individual mandate. So I can just share my perspective. We were trying to cut taxes for Americans, provide more opportunities for business growth, and it was working, uh, while also relieving Arizonans from having to pay a penalty when they couldn't afford health insurance that actually wasn't working for them and their families and so you know that was my approach but going forward I think it's important while we protect people with pre-existing conditions uh, that we ensure that there are options for people that they can actually afford I meet Arizonans every single day many with pre-existing conditions Uh, often they're the ones who are falling through the cracks they don't get their insurance from a large company Uh, They either are self-employed or an early retiree or they're in between jobs or going back to school or they're a small business owner. Every single chamber meeting that I've gone to over the last year and a half around the state, they talk about how these small businesses cannot afford health insurance uh, because Obamacare is failing them. And what more can we do to help people with preexisting conditions who right now cannot uh, access health insurance or they realize they're paying ridiculous premiums Uh, but they have less coverage and less support for the diseases they have or the treatments that they need. And so I'm a problem solver. We we need to find ways uh, where we can uh, provide more options for these people to work together as small businesses, band together like association health plans, where we have more transparency, we drive that cost down. uh, And it's not a one size fits all approach. Um, While we are all committed to protecting pre-existing conditions, and I think it's just obviously frustrating to see obamacare is not the only way to protect pre-existing conditions there's other ways and if you looked at the debate stage for the you know the presidential race there was every single uh uh, presidential contender was saying they wanted to replace obamacare so they obviously are acknowledging uh that it's not working for a lot of people with pre-existing conditions so i'm just trying to be thoughtful and uh and responsive to what i hear from arizonans where many right now uh, who are entrepreneurs, who are small business owners, who have pre-existing conditions, can't get access to affordable health insurance. So we should be able to come up with bipartisan solutions. This is a legislative issue, from my view. Uh, and we also need to make sure that we have uh, no disruptions uh, at this moment in time. Uh, we've got a pandemic going on, and one element of uh, the, w- what was really important in this time is with like PPP and other parts of what we did there is we wanted to make sure that anybody who had health insurance, whether they loved it or they didn't love it, while we're dealing with a pandemic, at least we would be able to have them hang on to that. That's why we wanted to keep employers and employees uh, connected to each other to the max extent possible. Uh, And we're looking at ways, if you did lose your insurance from losing your job, are there ways to be able to support, You know, COBRA is pretty expensive, uh, that, that COBRA insurance that people have. So what do we need to do right now in the moment in order to address these shortfalls and these issues while we look for bipartisan solutions, hopefully going forward? on how to fill these gaps where people right now with pre-existing conditions don't have the health care they need or deserve.
1: Senator, if I could get you to shift gears uh, one more time against all kinds of resistance from Democrats and others in the public, uh, the president has managed to get 200 miles of border wall uh, installed uh, along the border. Um, it's Mexico. It's not Mexico who's paying for it, though. It's U.S. taxpayers. Um I know that you've called for situational awareness, a combination of technology and uh, personnel and other things uh, to help on the border. How far have we gotten toward what you would consider uh, the appropriate uh, situational awareness along the border?
2: Well, we're getting there. Uh, When I talk to Border Patrol agents all the time, to include last week when I was in Yuma again, they'll share that the border wall system. It's not just the barrier, it's actually the access roads that go with it often are really important as well because there's many areas that they can't even easily get down to patrol the border in the past. uh, So they can't even get to where that activity, even if they see activity happening. So the access roads are key, uh, the technology is key, uh, whether that's towers, fixed and mobile towers, Uh, uh, sometimes they have under buried cables that can detect uh, uh, crossings that are happening uh, and having that situational awareness not just in an operation center somewhere but actually uh, where the agent that's out there can see what's happening and have that integrated uh, we're getting there it's certainly improving um, some of the challenges Uh, from the pandemic actually have impacted cross-border activity but the cartel is still looking for opportunities for uh, bringing those drugs and human trafficking across the border so uh, the agents have definitely said things have improved with increased border wall system it allow them it allows them to use their manpower in a more efficient and effective way uh, so as they see that there is an attempted breach they have time to be able to go intercept it as opposed to somebody disappearing quickly uh, if there was no barrier at all, or as you've, you have all seen, chicken wire or uh, vehicle barriers that you can easily uh, walk over or drive over with a ramp. And so it's providing, uh, what, we're, you know, what we're doing is providing opportunities for them to be able to intercept the activity and know where it's coming more quickly. But we've got to obviously complete that system because if you do it in some places and then you have gaps, then it obviously drives the illegal activity into those gaps.
0: Last year, after several just terrible mass shootings, you uh, said that you would be open to solutions to reduce gun violence, to to prevent these types of mass shootings. You said at the time that more needed to be done at the federal, state, and local levels to act on these warnings of violent tendencies or activities by people who may have access to guns. Are you still open to so-called red flag gun laws? Well, my
2: record shows that I actually authored legislation, as you know, uh, specifically to support the this background check system that we have and to provide more support for mental health services uh, and to strengthen if somebody has been adjudicated by a judge to be mentally ill, that they are a prohibited possessor, that that is ensured to be in the NIC system uh, among the other prohibited possessor categories. So we that was signed into law and we've strengthened that system. Look, I think I've been out on ride-alongs and uh, with the police, and we've seen uh, the oftentimes what they are coming, uh, coming up on is uh, mental health crises, people in mental health crises, and they're kind of you know going in and out of the system into cr- a crisis center and then back out again. And so you know this, I think, is also another element we got to talk about within our healthcare system: is what more needs to be done uh, for those who are uh, in mental health crisis? How do we protect their privacy and their rights? We didn't do that when I was a kid; we were just locking people up against their will. Uh, but how do we provide, and this is some federal, but also state and local, the best care uh, so that they can provide, provide uh, healing for themselves and also they're not a danger to others. Not everybody who has mental illness, which has touched so many families, is going to be violent. Uh, but oftentimes you look back after these awful crimes are committed and you see the warning signs by friends and family and teachers and coaches and faith leaders who, who say like they saw that this was a risk. Well well, why, didn't, why wasn't something done to, to get some uh, treatment for them and to provide you know, a, a path for them to get healing? So uh, you know, we're in conversations, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, you know, certainly, we've been in many conversations about what's the appropriate federal state level. I think fundamentally, it's strengthening the mental health system, though, to, to provide that better care for people uh, that really is a critical element of this.
0: You've given us a lot of your time. We want to shift and maximize the last five minutes and move straight to uh, the election, the campaign trail. We could talk to you all day. Um, You recently returned to the campaign trail with a a fundraiser, uh, I think in Scottsdale in an airport, which is obviously very appropriate. Why did you decide to return to the campaign trail when you did?
2: Well, I've been focusing on doing my job as a senator, Yvonne. Uh, there's a lot at stake right now uh, for Arizonans, and I'm trying to do everything I can every single day to provide the relief that they need, economic relief and health relief, as we're dealing with this you know, once in a century pandemic. But we are, you know, in less than four months, people will be voting by mail, uh, voting early. And what is uh, a very consequential election And so at that time, uh, using the guidelines that were given to us, you know, we had an event in open space and shifts where everybody had the ability to have masks and distancing and all that. Uh, And as things come into focus, there is an important choice. I'm going to be judged on what I've done as a senator in just two years. You know, I haven't had a full six year term to be able to do that. Uh, And I've been working hard every single day on behalf of Arizonans and they'll see what I've been able to deliver for them. Uh, to provide that economic relief, that health relief, and then the other things that I've been able to do outside the pandemic. Uh, But this choice, I think, is is critical. As things come into focus, it's going to be, who do you trust to hold China accountable, not just for the coronavirus, uh, but to stop their rise, to replace us? Uh, And I have been tough on China, and I've I've, uh, been standing up to them. I'm being threatened by them, you've seen that, uh, while my opponent has been in business with them. And I think this is a consequential issue that voters need to know about, and it's an important choice. Who do you trust to stand up to them? Those who are, you know, my opponent who's invested and has have them invested in him. Uh, he's made financial choices. Everybody can make a buck. Um, or, you know, I've been choosing to stand up to China. I think there's also going to be a question of who do you trust to get the economy going again. I have a record. We've already shown through lower taxes and less regulations, we had our economy doing so well, and we were you know, the lower income individuals were actually getting the largest pay raises. We were showing what works. While well, my opponent has no record on this and is affiliated with his party. He tries to pretend he's not a Democrat uh, who's advocating for higher taxes, for more regulations, for the government takeover of health care uh, all the way around. And and so the final question is going to be: Look, you guys, Mark Kelly doesn't take a position on anything. Like just this week, he couldn't even answer the question on whether he supports busting the filibuster. And the Democrats are all indicating that if they take over, they're going to bust the filibuster and they are going to jam through their radical agenda, which is out of step with Arizona. So Mark Kelly's hiding in a bunker, uh, you know, just like Joe Biden, trying to pretend he's not a Democrat. But he is affiliated with, you're not, he's not an independent, he's affiliated with the radical left agenda that we're seeing on display every day. And Arizonans don't want socialism. They don't want open borders. They don't want free health care for illegals. You know, they don't want the government take over healthcare. They don't want more higher taxes. They want less taxes. Uh, they don't want to abolish ICE or defund the police. And that's what is associated with the agenda that they will jam through should they gain power. And my opponent's first vote is for Chuck Schumer, and that radical agenda will bust through with 51 votes. So you all need to ask him what his positions are on things. And he needs to stop pretending uh, that he has positions on nothing. Uh, So this is what's going to come into focus here uh, as people come down to making their choice. Uh, going forward. And we want to make sure people are aware of what choice is in front of them, because it has grave implications for Arizonans.
1: So, uh, Senator, the polling has shown that you've uh, been behind for several months um, in this race. You've talked a lot about trust as it relates to uh, Commander Kelly. Um, What else do you think that people should know about him or about yourself as they sort of weigh where they want to go with this race?
2: Ron, this is a battleground race. Uh, we're, it's dead heat right now, so I'm just telling you, I'm not even buying the premise of what you're saying from uh, you know, whatever polling is out there. I'm just telling you that you know, this is a battleground race uh, for the Senate majority, which is why so much money is pouring in, has been attacking me nonstop you know, from 2018 and beyond. But it's okay, you know you're over the target when you're getting flack. Uh, and my hope is that as people are, are coming into focus to make their choice, uh, that they see what I've been able to do for Arizona and getting the most bills passed in my first year as a senator in stepping up to fight for our military, uh, to fight for our men and women in uniform and our veterans and the unique experience I have with that uh, to ensure that relief was on the way in this pandemic. Uh, that's like fought for tribal relief, fought for cities and towns and our healthcare workers and, and, and workers, uh, small businesses and families to be able to get the support that they need. Uh, But as things come into focus, I I hope that they will see my heart, Uh, that they they know that I fight, but I want them to know that I I fight because I care. Uh, I care deeply about our country. I care deeply about being a voice for others. Uh, And this is a consequential race. It's not just whether you like astronauts or fighter pilots. (laughs) It's about whether you want to go in the direction of socialism and the radical left agenda. Uh, or whether you want to continue to recover our economy in ways that we showed we already know how to do, uh, while we're continuing to support our military and secure our border, uh, that we need to provide more options at lower costs for prescription drugs and health insurance while protecting people with pre-existing conditions, but not blow the whole system up, not have the government take the whole thing over, which will end Medicare as we know it, close rural hospitals, have 100 employer-sponsored health insurance. So these are the issues that are a part of the agenda Um, oftentimes people are focused on tone or tweets but you got to look at agenda as well what do you believe in what direction do you want the country to go in and what does that look like for Arizonans and I'm going to give every single day that I have to fight for Arizonans I've already been able to deliver for them but I'm going to keep delivering if this is the last year of my life I'm going to keep delivering for Arizonans for the rest of the year and when we get reelected
0: thank you so much Senator we really appreciate it
2: all right God bless you guys stay safe You too. Thanks,
1: Senator. Appreciate your time. Take care. All right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. Yvonne, we heard a lot about trust and experience in this interview. What are your thoughts on that topic and how it's reflected in the polls in this race?
0: Well, I think McSally is right when she talks about how this race is going to come down to Trust. Who do you trust to keep your family safe and secure? Who do you trust to help revive the economy to bring back jobs? And uh, you know, it, it seems to to me after talking to quite a few voters, dozens and dozens of voters over the past several months about how they're feeling um, amid the pandemic and political experts that. All incumbents, all Republican incumbents are going to be tethered to the president and to the Republican governors of their states and how they've handled uh, the pandemic. That is what people will be judged by. And I think that's probably why we're seeing um, the senator trailing consistently in so many of these polls that we've seen come out, you know, since really February earlier this year. So many of these polls are outside of the margin of error. And, you know, unless voters really start to um, feel as though they trust the president's response, they trust McSally's response, they trust that Governor Doug Ducey here in Arizona, who's not on the election, but whose performance will inextricably be tied to McSally's, I think she's going to have a lot of work to do. I also question how effective, um, you know, the China strategy is. I think it probably plays pretty well in, you know, Republican focus groups and maybe some focus groups, um, of, of independent voters who maybe lean Republican, but I don't hear my neighbors talking about China. And so I I really just wonder if that, how effective I guess that strategy is really going to be.
1: Well, one thing neighbors are talking about these days are the presidential race and, and the president's performance and and his Democratic opponent, Joe Biden, his uh, views on matters. That seems to have a lot of effect on these down ticket races uh, for the Senate and even further on the ballot for House races and, and so on. That's going to be one of the uh, cross currents Martha McSally has to navigate as she tries to turn around that race and find uh, the approval of voters for another two years.
0: And we'll be watching it closely and you can follow our coverage as always on azcentral.com. That is all for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget.
1: And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N.
0: Today's episode was produced by Katie O'Connell with help from Maritza Dominguez and Taylor Seely. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.